know if you've been with us for a while, we've wrapped up our study in Hebrews. We've done a couple topical messages, and um, we're excited. I'm excited. We'll start a new study here probably next week uh, in Esther. And the last couple weeks, we've looked at just a few things I think that I felt um, were pertinent to us as a body as to what God might be doing in us. And so we looked at Psalm 142 and David's time in uh, the cave of Adullam. And then, uh, so we, you know, that was a prayer really of of deliverance. It was a very honest prayer before the Lord um, for God to see him in his situation and to come to his rescue. And I think that's something we can all relate to in some way at some point in our lives. Uh, Looking at the symbol of the cave of Adullam and realizing uh, how it means retreat, how it means refuge. And though uh, we may not always see it as such that, that God knows exactly where we are, exactly where he's leading us, and sometimes the very uh, place of our refuge is also the place for us to, um, is a place for us to overcome. You, know, you think of a cave and you think of it as refuge, but you can also think of it as a symbol of all your insecurities and phobias and whatnot. Um, but sometimes it's in that place God really wants to work. Uh, last week we saw Samuel and his position in making himself available f- before the Lord, and we started there uh, on a study of how we are called, how we are commanded to seek God's presence and seek him continually. And our position before the Lord in that our our, our need to humble ourselves before him, make ourselves available. Uh, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. I think today is kind of a natural progression from those topical messages. Uh, Really, it could be an entire series on its own. And so I realize that we're just kind of skirting the treetops. But often when we find ourselves in those places of need and those places of of searching and uh, the things that drive us, though they shouldn't be the only thing driving us to search and to seek God. We should be doing that continually as we looked at. But often the things that drive us in that place or into that into that mode is um, because we have to make a decision, because we have to discern, because we are looking for a new direction or looking for God's call or his, his um, command to us for, to be obedient, right? And sometimes that place of decision-making, that place of questioning can be a even a stumbling block for us where we get stuck. Uh, it can be a place where we look at all the options and, and we just feel like we get lost in it. And there's all kinds of types of decision-making. There's all kinds of uh, scenarios and places where we have to do that. But um, when we belong to him, that's the place that we need to also start. It might seem um, obvious, but for whatever reason, I don't think it always is when, when we're in that place of searching, in that place of seeking the Lord uh, for wisdom and for direction. So a natural place to begin with the topic of decision-making is uh, to define, to look at what it means to have biblical wisdom. And again, this is kind of a broad topic, so... so Give me a little grace here, but let's start here in Proverbs 3. It's a pretty well-known section of Scripture, but I want to take some time to break it down and then jump off from there. So Proverbs 3, verse 3. 
Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. We could just keep reading this all day, and, and you know, I can cut myself out of the picture. <laughs> I kind of want to. Uh, <laughs> let's take that uh, verse 3 and 4 uh, real quickly here. That's not the meat of what we're going to get into, but let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. We know that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases now, does it? And so do we clothe ourselves in that? Writing, on, writing it on the inside, on our inward being, and wearing it on the outside? Or is that something that's hard for us? Maybe hard for us to receive, maybe hard for us to, to give and to display. The wise man, as we know, as, as Proverbs is talking about, the wise man says, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you, but bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. Remember that our faithfulness is predicated not on our own ability, our own strength, but is on God. And the trust we have in him, his faithfulness to us. And so even though we're in the Old Testament, we can realize that uh, with what we are talking about today, it's very much still in the framework of Christ's work on the cross for you and for me. The fact that uh, when we study the word, when we study this wisdom literature, it's, it's still talking about a covenant-keeping God. And that with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, our acceptance of that sacrifice for us, we enter, he gives us access to the throne of God within the new covenant of Jesus Christ. And so as a covenant people, as covenant believers, we receive that steadfast love of the Lord. We engage and realize and learn probably the depth of which we will never fully understand until we get to heaven, but we learn his faithfulness. Because he is faithful, we can be faithful to him. It says, remember them always. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. See, the things that are good for us in the framework of Christianity before the Lord are also good for us before man. Now, on one hand, we know that persecution will come. But on the other hand, God can still give us favor in a way that glorifies him and, and brings about and furthers his kingdom. It's a different kind of favor, isn't it? I think we often think of favor in, in especially in our culture and in our cultural Christianity, 
we limit the, the idea of favor as to something that, that benefits us financially or benefits us in stature, benefits us in some way that uh, is not necessarily benefiting to the kingdom. But as believers, we realize that we are part of that covenant, that we are under that umbrella, and so what benefits us ought to benefit the kingdom because we are believers, because we are a part of that kingdom, because he's building that kingdom in us. And so as we write those things, as we write steadfast love and faithfulness in the tablet of our heart, as we wear that around our neck to display to this world, we should find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. One point to make as we study uh, this proverb, as you study on your own the Proverbs, uh, I, I think what you can, one way you can attack it, one way you can, f- you can filter it and let the Lord lead you in is uh, there, there are maxims and there are promises. A promise is, is something that God is, is going to give us and keep and fulfill as a part of the covenant. The maxims that we find uh, in Proverbs and other books are things that um, are prescriptions but they are not guarantees necessarily. So as we live rightly before the Lord, we'll find favor and success. That, that is a maxim, but it's not necessarily the, the, the outcome in 100% of cases. Does that make sense? It's still the way to live. It's still the, the right way to approach God. It's still biblical wisdom. Uh, but again, we realize that we are doing it under the umbrella of the covenant. We are doing it uh, for his kingdom's sake, not our own. And so the outcome for our life uh, is subordinate to the outcome for the kingdom. Amen? Amen? Amen. So if we struggle, if we find ourselves uh, in dire straits, but we know we've been obedient, we know we've been right before the Lord, that is not a, a verdict or a judgment of failure. And we have to stop seeing it like that, but we have to embrace the place wherever God leads us. Let's look at verse 5 here. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. So as in the framework of decision-making and in, in the thrust of biblical wisdom, the command here is to trust in the Lord, trust in Yahweh with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. Realize here that Solomon is calling attention to the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph, the revealed Yahweh, I am, as he said to Moses and to the people of Israel as they exited Egypt. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't trust in man, don't trust in idols, don't trust in false gods, don't trust in yourself, don't trust in success, don't trust in the world, but trust in your creator, in your personal savior, in the God who saw fit to reveal himself to you as his creation. We start there, we end there. With all your heart, 
The heart, as we know, is uh, symbolic of the totality of the human being, the, the emotional and physical senses and drive, the center of who we are. So we're called to trust in the Lord with everything in us. What's the first commandment that we drilled into our hearts and minds for so long? Love God with all your with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. What's number two, just for the fun of it? Hey, we got that one. <laughs> now think about this. Trust in the Lord God with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. When we come to Christ, when we make that profession of faith, when we pray that sinner's prayer, what do we do? We say, God, will you come into my life? Will you come into my heart? Will you take over my being? I think that's probably, I think a lot of us think of that as the end and not the beginning. See, we then have to live out that profession of faith. We need to live out that request before God. And that's, that ends up being a lot of what we kick against, a lot of what we struggle with is that, that uh, consuming of ourselves by the Holy Spirit to refine us, to make us into his image and likeness. I think once we've been saved, once we've made that profession to God, our future decisions, our future uh, choices that we make are a real litmus test. They, they reveal just how much we've allowed that prayer, we've allowed that profession to take hold in our lives. I'm not talking about uh, waxing and waning from salvation, but the fact that when we surrender to God, we, we are surrendering our entire being, our whole hearts. And yet often in our struggle, often in the places where we find ourselves in, in, in a valley of, of, or a desert place and needing to make decisions, that highlights just how much we've surrendered we make decisions for ourselves, or if we make decisions in our own self-interest, or we make them for where God is leading us. It says, do not lean on your own understanding. We need to realize and keep in mind that in and of ourselves, apart from God, our heart is deceitfully wicked. It says that over and over in the Word of God. That apart from God, they're, they're just... There's not a whole lot of good choices to be made. If we think back to the, to, to the Old Testament, we think to the story of Israel and, and their constant pattern of uh, deliverance and then entering back into to oppression or to subjugation because of their sin. It's because they constantly did what was right in their own eyes, that they would turn from God, that they, despite the wonders, despite the miracles, despite God's deliverance and, and the freedom he would bring for a time that they would enter back in to sin because they had a divided heart. Because they still tried to hold on to the wisdom of man, to, to the culture of the day. Still wanting to try to honor God, but then in the same breath, try to honor the, the idols that surrounded them, the, the gods of the other cultures around them because they hadn't driven them out of the land. And so they went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. 
They leaned on their own understanding. They leaned on the culture and fad and trend of the day. And they found themselves in this perpetual cycle of judgment for their sin. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. I think that same cycle, that same pattern that Israel faced is is not foreign to us. I think it it is very much still prevalent in, in Christianity today. I'm not talking about the magazine. It just went pew. That's okay. That's okay. See, when we lean our own, on our own understanding, it gets us nowhere. We, we Think about where we are today. Think about the strides we've made in technology just in your lifetimes. Some of you, you were here when we sent a man to the moon for the first time. And you remember exactly where you were. Some of you, you were here when, when we're all here, when computers started to get smaller and smaller and smaller. And then phones got smaller and smaller and smaller, and now they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. The amount of technology that is at our fingertips and the touch of a button and the split-second conveyance through the World Wide Web is astounding. But knowledge does us no good if it doesn't build wisdom. And for all of the knowledge and information that is now available to us, I think it creates a false sense of security, and we actually far, we lack far more wisdom than we ever have needed before, that we have ever lacked before. Because there's a pride in that attainment, in that sense of, of owning knowledge, leaning on our own understanding, and it leads to a pride that separates us from God. It makes it difficult for the bearer of that knowledge to turn and surrender to God. And it leads to godlessness in our community and in our culture. I'm not saying don't become educated. I'm not saying don't learn. But if we pride ourselves, if we value those things more than we value biblical wisdom, more than we value the knowledge that God gives, more than we study the word of God, and we are putting ourselves at great detriment. So we see trust in the Lord with all our heart. Do not lean on our own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. What does it mean to acknowledge him? I think in a way, ultimately it comes back to glorifying him, but I think on the simple level, it really just means acknowledge him. God, I want you in my family. I want you in my finances. I want you in my relationships. I want you in my marriage. I want you in my day-to-day activities, my career, my education. I think some of us are content to acknowledge him 
when we're in church, to acknowledge him when we read the Bible, to acknowledge him when we pray. But we only make him Lord over our religious life, over the label of Christianity, but not the substance of. When we profess, God, I am yours and you are mine, Jesus, come into my heart, I surrender. We are not making him Lord over a label, but we are saying we want you to be Lord over everything in us. And so the outgrowth of that as we live our lives before him ought to be that we acknowledge him in everything. Jesus, you are Lord over my finances. You are Lord over my marriage. You are Lord over my relationships. You are Lord over my feelings, emotions, desires, dreams. God, take all of me. And the result, he will make straight your paths. God will honor that heart, honor that position before him. And the path, the, the, the call, the course that we are on is made straight. Not necessarily made easy, but made clear. To sum up these uh, verses to uh, four and five, or sorry, five and six, I think the, the, the way to boil it down is this, is that we are called to trust him exclusively. So, God, I trust you and you alone. Not my own knowledge, not my own wisdom, not the world's knowledge, not my friend's knowledge, not uh, the success that I've experienced, not the uh, numbers and number of digits in my bank account, but trust you and you alone exclusively. And then we're called to trust him, not just exclusively, but extensively in everything that we are, everything that we have, everything that we engage in. Make him Lord over everything. See, the key, we'll get to seven and eight here, but the key to making godly decisions, to having godly discernment. And again, it might seem obvious or it might be one of those no-duh things, but I, I, you know, I, haven't, I don't think I've written on my hand in about 10 years. But as we were singing and worshiping, as we were praying, it, 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 God kind of helped bring it, boil it down for me. We have so many competing interests. We have so many sources of information and, and influences in our lives that we don't even realize. Just on your way to church, you probably saw five or six billboards that told you what to do or what you needed or what you needed to buy. If you go on your, uh, on your iPad or your phone and you go to a website, there's probably ten advertisements there, all telling you what you need, who you are, who you need to become, what you need to do to be successful. And when we find ourselves in the valley of decision, when we find ourselves at a crossroads and we're looking to God, the place we need to start is to realize that we are his and no others. We need to realize that we belong to him. Sometimes we, we are able to discern that road. We are able to discern where God is leading, but we're still stuck. And we're filled with fear at the next step. And again, the key is to realize that we are his. If you think about your workplace and decisions that come up, Often, you can find a sense of relief when you are making a decision, but ultimately it's your boss's decision, right? And so, 
you're making it under their umbrella. And so despite you making the right or wrong choice, it, it ultimately reflects on their ability to execute or their ability to see something through. And so the responsibility primarily lies on them. If we realize that we are his, we still have a duty and a call to honor him, to seek his will, to obey him. But we can begin to let go of fear. We can begin to let go of that anxiety and realizing that ultimately we are his and he, we are held in his hands. And so even the decision we make is held by him. Even the choice that we make when we're seeking him, you know, we, we put him in control then. We put him as God and Lord. And so we can let go of that anxiety. We can let go of that worry. We can let go of that fear. Now, if you're making the wrong choice in rebellion, that's a whole other story. But Verse 7, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Verse 8, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh, refreshment to your bones. Again, we, we often think I've got my associates, I've got my bachelors, I'm halfway through my master's, or, you know, I've lived for 60 years and I have all these decades of experience. None of that matters in the context of seeking God and biblical wisdom and leaning on him and not our own understanding, trusting in him and not our own wisdom. We all think we're wise in our own eyes. Adolescents growing up, we, we, man, we knew what was right, right? We knew our parents were wrong. We knew our mentors were wrong. We knew our teachers were wrong. In our 20s, we, you know, we thought we could conquer the world. We uh, saw the, the injustices and, and uh, the inequalities, and we said, man, you know, I know the way. I, I can solve this, that idealism that comes in that age. Not that that's wrong, but wisdom in our own eyes is folly. But fear of the Lord, that healthy awe and respect for Yahweh. The God who sees fit through his son to impart his own character, his holiness to us. He holds the world. He holds us. He, then, as we are obedient, is leading us. As we turn away from evil, as we turn away from sin, says it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. I think often, just like the Israelites, we make peace with evil. We allow it to stand nearby. We allow it to camp next to us. But the call throughout Proverbs is to completely disassociate from it, to rid ourselves of any remnant of evil in our lives, any remnant of sin in our lives. That's part of the sanctification process. It's part of the Holy Spirit working in us. 
that's another topic for another day, but if we seek godly wisdom, if we want him in the middle of our decisions, in the middle of uh, our becoming more and more obedient to him, sin will hold us back. Evil will hold us back. There's just no way around it. So that's biblical wisdom. I want to take a little bit of time. It'll, we'll go a little bit faster now that we set that foundation. But uh, we're going to talk about discernment now and decision making itself. And you know, there's all kinds of decisions to be made. There's all kinds of areas where we need discernment, isn't there? And often, I think that's probably one of the more frequent questions is, is well, how do I know the voice of God or how do I know that that's uh, God or how do I know that that's biblical? The discernment at its core is the ability to identify truth uh, and the ability to identify error or wrong or whatever you want to call it. The, the ability to discern what is of God and what is of not, what is not. And as we looked at in Hebrews, Hebrews 5, 14, you don't have to go there, but solid food is, the mat- is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So on one hand, it's something that's built up. We'll get back to that. I think another way to think of discernment is uh, the, uh, the ability to think biblically. So let's look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 21. 5, 21 and 22. Paul says, test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. So there we have it again, to abstain or disassociate from evil, um, to hold fast to what is good. Who, who do we know is good? Jesus, and test everything. That testing of everything is is part of that discernment and decision-making process. And then we hold on to what is good. So the key to walking obediently, the key to uh, biblical or godly decision-making is to have discernment in all things, in every area of our life, to test everything, and then to hold on to what is good and to let go and abstain from what is evil. I think that's probably the first place we go wrong is, is again, as we say, you know, God, I got this. I, I, man, I know relationships. And we, and we we're, it's not even a necessarily conscious decision to leave him out, but it, it, it's a pride in our own ability. And we have to start, again, from place of we are his. And, God, I want you in every facet of my life. I, you know. Make that your prayer in the morning. God, just be in my day. Lord, be in my day with work. Be in my day in terms of my relationships. Be in my day uh, with my spouse. Be in my day with my career choices. And we seek God's presence in that, what we talked about last week. So discernment has grown through practice. Practice, you know, in part uh, is just the simple, uh, our time of prayer and seeking God. 
Uh, it's committing to, to knowing, to studying, to, to um, searching God's word. We've talked, out, talked about before here the idea, the, the example of uh, you know, a bank teller. A bank teller goes through all kinds of training, and all kinds of training, especially in the area of um, looking for, for what is counterfeit. And, man, they know. They know right away. But the way they are trained isn't by showing them the 300 different ways that people make counterfeit money, but it's showing them all the intricacies and all the details of the real thing. think we spin our wheels so much in, in, in trying to seek out and trying to discern and, and all the little things where God's just saying, just be with me. Just spend time with me. Just spend time in my word. Know who I am. Know what the real thing is. And then you will have discernment for what is counterfeit. If you know he is good, you know that anything else that says he is not is counterfeit. If you know his will for your life, if, if you know the joy that he gives, you know, you'll know what false joy is, what, what the enticement is. If you know true contentment in God, you will know when something is trying to bring a false sense of security in your life or a false sense of contentment, you'll know that you don't need to invest in that peace anymore to give your life to something that isn't holy, to give your life to something that isn't godly. You know what the key to discernment is? Is to submit ourselves to God. So basic. Again, it comes back to prioritizing Him in our life, to making Him Lord over everything. Instead of rising ourselves and placing ourselves in that place, our own knowledge, our own sense of wisdom, our own sense of success apart from God. So as we surrender, as we submit to the work of, whole, of the Holy Spirit in our lives, as we study His Word and we practice it, we will grow in our discernment. And that discernment leads to spiritual maturity. Here's just a couple practical questions. We'll go quickly through them, then we'll go on to decision-making. What has God already said about this? When we find ourselves needing discernment, we need to ask ourselves, what, what, where, what do I already know? What does the Bible say? Pretty simple, huh? And before the Lord, we say, God, where, where have I been here before? Have you already done a similar work in me? And think back to what he's already done. Think back to what he's already spoken to you or done in you. What other communication from God has, have you received on that topic? What godly wisdom has been given to you by others, by your pastors, or by your mentors? Another question you ask is, what am I, is what I'm thinking or feeling, is, is it coming from me or is it coming from God? And that can be a little bit harder and that might be where we get confused, but what it requires, again, is that submission, is that the brutal honesty before the Lord in your prayer time. It requires us to begin to sort out emotions and sort out feelings and thoughts versus what God has said. 
And then a third question that's good is, is what is it leading me to? Is it leading me toward righteousness? Is it leading me towards closeness with God? Is it leading me to a ministry opportunity? Or is it leading me to, uh, to building his kingdom? Or is it leading to my own self-gratification? Or is it leading to my own benefit, but selfishly? Decision-making, James 5.12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. The context here is James uh, talking about steadfastness and endurance through trial and perseverance. James, as we know, spends a lot of time talking. Uh, really, um, to me, it's some of the wisdom literature of the New Testament. But we realize when he says, you know, do not swear by heather, heaven, heather, heaven or by earth, nor heather, uh, but let your yes be yes, your no be no. That comes back to what we've been talking about all along, is that we belong to Jesus Christ, period. The ancients, they would try to hedge their bets and they would try to swear by something other than God because they knew that once they, 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 they made an oath, we're not talking about swearing profanity, but when they made an oath, if they made an oath before God, they, they, that was locked and bound and, and cemented in. And so they would try to get around that because they knew their own hearts. They knew that they were deceitfully wicked. They knew that they, they, they valued their own uh, pride their own knowledge more than that of God, and so they would swear by, they would make an oath by a great mountain or the sun or, you know, some part of creation apart from God. And that way they could get out of it. Because the mountain isn't going to hold you to your word, but God will. I think a lot of times we do the same thing. We get to a place of decision-making. We get to a place where God is calling us forward in obedience, and we're always looking for a way out. God, I, you know, I know you're calling me to, to take a step of faith, but, but, man, it's so much safer over here. You know, God, how about I, I answer you and obey you partly? I, I let go of this one thing, but I hold on to the other. Or how about I hedge my bet, and, you know, if this doesn't work out, Sometimes that call, sometimes that place of decision-making is, is we're, we're there because God is calling us to take a step of faith. And if we're having trouble making a step of faith, we need to, in a way, go back to the drawing board, don't we? We need to realize again that, that we are His. That he only desires good things for us. He only desires for us to be closer to him, to be more sanctified, to be more holy, to be more surrendered to the working of the Holy Spirit. We've committed our lives to Jesus. We have received the benefit of the covenant. He has committed himself to us. So let our yes be yes and our no be no. 
Paul says we press on toward the mark. We strive and we strain toward that goal that God's put before us, not tentatively. And, you know, God, I know I'll get there eventually, but, you know, I want to stop at this water station. And, man, that souvenir looks great. And <laughs> we're in a race. Real quickly here, Nehemiah. We studied Nehemiah a while back. If, we, if you go there on your own, you can see a pattern in his decision-making. It's fruitful for us. It's, we see that uh, he sent uh, and sought word of the situation. He, remember, he was in, um, I think it was the Winter Palace of King, uh, help me, <laughs> Darius. Uh, and he sought word of, how the exiles were doing in Jerusalem and, and what the state of the city was. And so he studied. So first he, he, he carefully analyzed and studied the situation. He, he looked for all the facts. He looked for uh, what was real and what was false. And he, he studied and sought out as best he could what he would be getting himself into. Secondly, he, he empathized with the exiles. He put himself in their shoes. I think a lot of times in our own pride, we say, oh, I know what that's going to look like, rather than say, God, what's it going to look like? Thirdly, we see that he humbled himself before God. He sat in mourning, and, and before the Lord, he, he, he repented for, for his sin and for his nation's sin. And then he prayed. So he studied and analyzed. He empathized, put himself in their place. Thirdly, he humbled himself. Fourth, he prayed. And then and only then did he start to take action. Do we do that in our own lives? Or do we skip steps? Wherever you're at this morning, wherever God is, whatever God's going to call you to next or bring you to next, if you are a believer and you call yourself Christian and you've been in that place for a while one thing to remember is that very likely God brought you to that place to begin with and so if he's calling you on or if he's calling you deeper or if he's calling you to take a step of faith you're not starting from ground zero you're not starting from and unknown, but you're starting from a place where you were obedient before. And I think that helps us in realizing, God, you know, let me be obedient again. Let, thank you that I realize you've brought me here, and now that time is over. That that whatever you're doing in me, even though I don't see it yet, that that, that you're bringing that to completion. That you're you're starting a new thing. I think a lot of times we, we want to hold on to that place we, we, because we've grown comfortable, because we've grown familiar. And we need to realize that it was even in that place that God brought us to from another. Now he's calling us onward. We make decisions all the time, don't we? Small ones, big ones. Even our uh, knee-jerk reactions, in a way, are a uh, product of a decision we've made. The outgrowth, the exterior uh, display of emotion, really is also uh, an inward decision that we've made at some point. 
even what we might call or just write off and say, God, you know, hey, that was just knee-jerk reaction or that was uncontrollable. It, it comes from the heart, and because it comes from the heart, it still can be governed by God. And we need to realize that, that we need to make him Lord over everything. That when our heart and our entirety is entrusted in him, that we will grow in all those things, even our emotional response and actions. And that's important to realize. So when we're making decisions, when we are looking for discernment, when we are wanting to grow, we need to submit ourselves to God. We need to make him Lord over everything, our relationships, our finances, our career, our marriage, our family. Everything that the world teaches us nowadays is self-serving, is selfish, is do what's right in your own eyes. And for centuries of history, we've seen, and not even just in the Bible, but when people do what's right in their own eyes, they fail. They fail. We as believers are engaged in a covenant with God himself. In a covenantal relationship with Jesus. He's paid for our sins in full so that we can have relationship with the Father through Jesus the Son. Having paid for our sins in full, Jesus has fully committed himself to us. We need to make sure to do the same. Wisdom then, godly decision-making, godly living, is to trust and obey him more and more. To stop doing what's right in our own eyes, to stop leaning our own, on our own understanding. The sermon then comes from understanding our relationship to God, who he is and who we are. And we spent a lot of time in that over the last year. It's recognizing truth and error. It's recognizing what's biblical, what is godly. And then when we make that decision, when we step out in faith, we do it with our whole heart. We 100% are sold out for him in obedience. We can make those decisions confidently because we know we are his. We know that he will never leave us nor forsake us. We know that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I pray right now for everyone in that place of seeking your will at a crossroads or in a space where you're calling them to step out in faith. Lord, let them first connect with you and realize just how much they are loved, how much you care, how much you're invested in us. And help them to look back at where they've been and what you've done already, what your word says. And to discern where you're leading next. God, I pray that as we seek you, as we entrust you with everything we have, 
Lord, that we would walk more confidently. Lord, that we would walk more assuredly before you and before others, and that that example would glorify you in all that we do. God, that our lives, every facet of our being, would be governed by you. And God, that, that it would bear fruit. Lord, I pray for any of those in here or who are listening to this message that have not made that decision, that primary decision to make you Lord over their life. Father, that even in this context, even in this place, in this time, that that choice would be made clear. That there is an opportunity because of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done to forgive our sin. That we can make a choice for you to have you become Lord of our life and receive that forgiveness. That our life doesn't have to be lived on our own and in our own understanding and in our own way and to constantly make bad choices that we have to recover from. But that when our lives are held by you, you desire good things, you desire greater things, you desire an obedience that leads us closer to the one who created us. Jesus, I pray just you're covering over this message, you're covering over this body of believers. Lord, that your word would saturate our hearts. Lord, that you would speak and communicate where, where man's words have failed, where my words have failed. Lord, we know that you search the inward. Lord, may we search the inward as well. And stop looking to others, stop looking to pop culture, stop looking to the wisdom of this world. But to lock our, lo- our eyes on you and you alone. Let's stand and sing and worship as we prepare ourselves for communion.